Welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by me and my birth classes. Preparing to welcome a baby into the world can be daunting with so many unknowns and what-ifs, but the Midi Society's face-to-face and online birth classes will leave you feeling empowered and confident about your labour, birth and beyond. Taught by a currently practising midwife, it is our aim to provide you with the latest evidence-based education which will enable you to advocate for yourself and your desired birthing experience. Say goodbye to those generic textbook birthing classes. Our classes are designed in a modern, fun, informative and light-hearted way. So if you're looking to get educated about birth and beyond, head to my website www.themidisociety.com.au and book yourself into a birth class, whether that's online, face-to-face, in a group or private class. Alternatively, we know that sometimes pregnancies may not all fit the one mould. Here at the Midi Society, we are passionate about supporting you and whatever your desired birthing option may be. No woman should be excluded from receiving high quality birth education based on their pregnancy being deemed either high risk or low risk. So if you are someone that's looking for more of a tailored class to your specific needs, or maybe you're even going in for an elective caesarean and want to know more. If this is you, contact us at hello at themidisociety.com.au so we can find the best class for you. Because remember, knowledge is power within the birthing space. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today it's just me on the mics sharing some midwifery based education with you. But what a week it has been for me. Um, I finished night shift last week, attended the One Fine Baby Baby Expo which was a massive few days but it was honestly so enjoyable to meet some actual midi listeners who have been following me for a little while so if you're one of them and you are listening to this podcast episode today I am so grateful that you came up and said hello it honestly I can't even explain it it felt a bit surreal and yeah it just made everything feel so worth it I think the thing with having a podcast but also just having a you know, social media page is that often you put so much content out there, but you don't always hear too much back. So it was so nice to hear some positive feedback and, you know, hopefully see that I am making a difference in some women's lives, which is the reason why I do what I do today and have this platform. So no, it was a massive few days. I was so exhausted and coming off night shift that definitely didn't make it easier. But the sunshine this week in Melbourne has been insane. I'm currently sitting 
in the sunshine recording this episode. So hopefully getting some vitamin D after being on night shift. Uh, But today's podcast episode is about a topic which I honestly probably get asked about the most and also where I feel a lot of fear around childbirth stems from and that is will I tear during childbirth. So this episode is going to focus on perineal tears and I guess educating you about why potentially they may occur, the types of them and how you can prevent perineal tearing in childbirth. I'll also be sharing what midwives do to prevent perineal tears during childbirth um, and yeah hopefully offer you some insights but also make you feel more empowered and confident about going in and having an empowering vaginal birth. As a midwife and also a childbirth educator, I often ask women how they view birth and what are some of the barriers they feel when it comes to childbirth. And honestly, without a doubt, the main concern is tearing. So I'm first of all going to acknowledge that, of course, that is really, really valid way to feel because it is so foreign for us to even think about that area of our body, referring to our vulva and perineum, then let alone thinking about pushing out potentially a three to four kilo baby out of there and then sustaining some trauma to the area. Of course, you're going to feel a little uneasy about it. But what I also find really crazy and I always speak about this in my birth classes is that often these conversations and thoughts surrounding birth aren't often had until one you get pregnant or two you're in your childbirth education course and now you're like shit this is actually happening and it honestly baffles me And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing stories and offering positive education to take that fear away and rather share the raw magic of birth and how bloody amazing your body is. Because I see birth all the time and when I am watching a woman do her thing and have a baby, I'm not looking at her perineum and thinking, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to do that? I look at it and go, holy hell, that is phenomenal that our bodies are designed to stretch and make room for your beautiful baby to be born. So I really hope that after listening to this episode, you feel like some of that fear has been taken away and rather now it has transitioned into more of an understanding that tearing during childbirth is really common and it is actually a physiological process to allow your baby to be born vaginally and you shouldn't fear it because you don't want to let that fear hold you back in birthing your baby. And honestly, sometimes I do see women when they're about to give birth, fear that. And the thing is, you have to push past that. You know, you have to get your baby out. So if this fear can be taken away and rather, yeah, you might have some mixed feelings about it, but you don't view it as fearful, then honestly, you are going to have an amazing vaginal birth. So first of all, let's talk about how common is perineal tearing. So this stat's probably going to make you go, oh God, but I just want to highlight that perineal tearing once again is a physiological process. So that perineum stretching and thinning out and potentially having some trauma to the area by tearing is the way your body creates more space for your baby to be birthed. So did you know that around 80% of women will sustain some degree of tear during childbirth? So I hope that already highlights how normal having some degree of trauma to that area is really common when giving birth. 
So a lot of the time we can prepare, we can try to prevent these things. But does that mean you're going to get off scot-free? Not necessarily. But what that does mean is you're actually going to prevent your chances of having a more significant tear and also decrease your chances of a potential episiotomy. Now, perineal trauma can actually occur either spontaneously, you know, either the pressure from your baby's head or even their cheeky arm increasing that diameter of the perineum um, or a result from a surgical incision of the perineum like an episiotomy. And when we talk about tearing in childbirth, there are different types of tears that can be sustained. Now, it isn't only perineal trauma. I think Often because we talk about perineal massage and, you know, we just speak about the perineum in general uh, tearing during childbirth, but it isn't only the perineum that can tear. Damage can also occur to your labia, your anterior vagina, urethra or clitoris, as well as the posterior vaginal wall, perineal muscle or anal sphincter muscles. But before we get into the types of perineal tears, let's unpack what actually the perineum is first, because this might be the first time you've ever heard that term before, which is totally okay. But basically, the perineum is that area of skin between your vagina and back passage. So to allow your baby's head to be birthed, the perineum will thin out and stretch. Now, this might be highly inappropriate, but honestly, it's too good not to share because in one of my childbirth education classes, a wonderful support person, a dad, he was, we were talking about, you know, perineal massage and the perineum in general. And he was like, oh yeah, so it's the gooch. And I could not stop laughing because I was like, that is just such a classic, you know, guy thing to say. But honestly, I guess if that's easier for you to think of it as the (laughs) female gooch, then be my guest. Um, that's pretty much exactly what it is. So if you're ever talking to your partner and they're unsure what the perineum is, just tell them the gooch and honestly, they'll know it (laughs) straight away. Okay, enough about that. More about the perineum. So in terms of perineal tears, there's four different grades of tears and you do not have to know these off by heart or anything. It's more so you're aware that after giving birth, if you have sustained a perineal tear and your healthcare provider says it's just a first degree or second degree, you have some understanding of what that actually means and some of the damage that has occurred. So a first degree tear is a shallow tear to the skin of the perineum. And sometimes these types of tears require stitching, but otherwise we actually can just leave them if they're not bleeding and let the natural healing process begin. A second degree tear is probably more common and that is a tear to the skin and involving some of the muscle layer of the perineum. So second degree tears usually heal a lot better when they are repaired with stitches. So you will find that it is common practice to have stitches to repair that. Then we have our more complex tears and I first just want to say if you happen to have one of these types of tears, please don't be disheartened, don't be hard on yourself. Sometimes they're out of our control. Um, Doesn't mean that your healing journey is going to be terrible, not necessarily. So 
Basically, what I'm talking about is our third and fourth degree tears. So these are the types of tears that do involve our anal sphincter muscles. And they can be broken down into smaller subcategories depending on the amount of anal sphincter muscle that's involved. But pretty much a third degree tear is a tear through the perineal muscles and into that ring-shaped muscle that surrounds the anus, so your anal sphincter. And then a fourth degree tear goes through the anal sphincter and into the anus. Now, I'm not telling you these things to scare you. I just want you to acknowledge them and then move past them in the event that they ever were to occur to you. You already have some of that education in the back of your brain that you can bring to the front and ask lots of questions. But moving forward with how can we actually prevent perineal tears? So let's break this into what you can do antenatally and then what we do for your labor and birth. So first of all, book into a women's health physio antenatally. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you will see that I have an incredible episode with Jess Costos, the mum of physio, where we dive deeper into what actually is involved in an antenatal physio appointment. Booking in with a pelvic health physio is honestly so vital and so beneficial. And I feel like People probably don't know too much about them, but they can do all those things like a pelvic floor examination. They can assess your perineum already and offer you tips and strategies and actually show you how to perform perineal massage. Um, If you don't know what perineal massage is, we're about to talk about it but they will definitely be very helpful to you. And then it's great because you can continue that continuity once your baby has been birthed and when you see them postnatally. The next thing that you can do antenatally to prepare is perineal massage. And if you're putting those two words together and wondering how they actually work simultaneously, um, let me (laughs) break it down for you and explain it because often perineal massage makes people go, oh my goodness, what even is that and what does it involve? But I actually feel like we don't do enough in the hospital system to educate women on how to best perform this and also speak openly about it with our support people. So perineal massage refers to helping the skin and surrounding tissues of the vagina and perineum to become more elastic through slow and gentle massage antenatally. It is recommended to be commenced from 34 weeks pregnant and it is suggested to perform this every day. Now hearing that might make you feel a little bit frightened, excited, who knows what, but honestly I think most women go 34 weeks, I've got a giant belly in front of me. How the hell am I ever going to see that area down below? I can't even shave my legs, shave my, you know, vajits, all those things. And honestly, probably the best thing is going to be getting your partner involved. Now, if you are someone who is tackling pregnancy by yourself or also you just think that this is way too much to do with your partner, um, that is so totally fine. You will still be able to do it by yourself. You're probably just going to have to troubleshoot. So I will give you some tips in a second. So what are the benefits of perineal massage? If you think about it, obviously we're going to be stretching that area. So it is gradually going to help stretch that area of the perineum to help avoid tears and the need for an episiotomy. Some of the other great benefits is that perineal massage is going to help you be aware of that area of your body uh, because as I said, we don't often think about it. We don't often touch that area. So when we feel a baby coming out of our um, vulva, we are like, what is going on and that's where that fear comes from so 
It can assist you to relax and open for your baby's birth. And of course, it's going to help minimize burning and stinging that is often felt during the birth of your baby's head. And evidence also suggests that perineal massage will help decrease the chance of ongoing perineal pain at three months post-delivery. So how on earth are you going to perform perineal massage? First of all, what you want to do is create a comfortable environment or atmosphere, you know, whether that's by yourself or with your chosen support person. A really good tip is maybe getting into the bath before or even performing perineal massage in the bath, but getting into the bath or the shower or putting some warmth onto that region because what that's going to do is soften the tissues and make it probably a little bit more comfortable when performing the perineal massage. And you usually can do this for about five to 10 minutes prior. In terms of what position should you be in for perineal massage, honestly, it's up to you. But if your support person is going to be there to help you, it's probably best to, you know, be laying on your back on the bed. Put your legs in a position that's going to be comfortable for you to, you know, relax them out to the side. Or if you're performing perineal massage by yourself, because let's be honest, maybe you won't be able to find someone to help you every single time. Often a good thing to do is pop your leg up onto the toilet or a seat and then reaching over around your legs or behind or in front, whatever way you can reach that area. If you want to, use a mirror so you can see what you're doing, but that is totally up to you. My next tip is what you want to do is visualize your perineum as a clock face. So six o'clock is going to be at the bottom towards your anus. And then what we're wanting to do is work between the three o'clock all the way to the nine o'clock. So you're going to use either your thumbs or index fingers and you're going to place them inside your vaginal opening, probably around two to three centimeters. So if you are feeling that area, feel how thick it is to begin with, okay? Because I'm going to touch on this later, but your perineum when giving birth isn't going to be that thick. So then what you're doing is stretching the perineum slowly, gently, and of course, comfortably until you feel a small amount of stinging or burning or pressure. And you're going to do that between the three o'clock and six o'clock or the six o'clock and nine o'clock, or then you're going to sweep in U-shaped motions between the three o'clock and nine o'clock. Otherwise, what you can do is also hold out for about 20, 30 seconds in the four o'clock and seven o'clock position too. Now, obviously I'm trying to explain this as basic as I can, given the fact that I am telling you this through an audio soundtrack. So if you need to see this visually, please look it up online, but hopefully in terms of the clock face, that is making a lot more sense. Now, how long are you going to perform it for? I say to women, you know, we usually say around three to four minutes, but do it as tolerated because sometimes it might take you a little bit of time or you might feel okay doing it and you wish to do it for longer. So if you're feeling okay with it, you can keep going and then stop when you're ready. Now, I'm sure the next question that you have is, is this going to be painful? And I always say, if you're not feeling some discomfort, now discomfort is very different to pain, but if you're not feeling some discomfort, then you're probably not doing it correctly because the whole idea is to stretch that perineal region to make more space and allow those tissues to become more elastic in preparation to birth your baby's head. So if you're, you know, feeling totally comfortable, not phased by it, probably needing to apply a little bit more pressure to the area. 
Another reason why I really recommend perineal massage is because when performing perineal massage, those sensations of that stretching and stinging feeling is going to be there when you're giving birth to your baby. So having techniques already in place, whether that's relaxing, breathing, you know, focusing your mind on something else, you're going to start to implement some of those strategies, which that means when it comes to birthing your baby, instead of having that fear and holding back, because a lot of women hold back pushing past that stinging feeling because they're scared, which I totally get, but rather than being fearful of it, it's going, okay, I've become familiar with these sensations. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but I know that I can control my breathing and that's going to be very beneficial for me to birth my baby slowly and calmly and prevent perineal tears. Of course, if you have any other questions about perineal massage, honestly, please feel free to send me a message on Instagram. I'll be more than happy to help explain things further. Now, when it comes to preventing tearing during childbirth, in labor and birth, there is a few things that us midwives will do. And preventing perineal tears, specifically our third and fourth degree tears, is what all midwives are striving for. And the things that I'm going to talk through is commonly routine practice in a majority of hospitals. But of course, have the conversation with your healthcare provider um, after maybe listening to this episode or have it written down in your birth plan with what you want and what you don't want. So automatically in the back of your midwife's mind, when she meets you, she's going to already screen you for are you at higher risk of having a more significant tear? Because we know that there are things that contribute to the potential chance of having a more significant tear. And some of those things might be the type of ethnic background. So where is that woman from? We know that women from Asian or Indian continents often are at higher risk, um, potentially a woman that's progressing really quickly in labor. We know that sometimes the birth then can be quite quick and that's a risk factor. Then we're looking at other things in terms of the baby. So is this baby palping abdominally? So when we're feeling the tummy, does it feel big in size compared to the woman? Um, Is it a known bigger baby? And I say that and I tread very lightly when I say that. But then also when it comes to the birth, is this baby malpositioned? And what that means is, is this baby's head in a different sort of position, which is making that diameter bigger? Or do they have a hand next to their face that once again is making that diameter that the perineum has to stretch bigger? So your midwife will be having these thoughts in the back of her mind the whole entire time. Then when it comes to the actual birth, so what we always want to do is birth in an optimal position. And I'm going to start this by saying it's your birth, so you have the ability to birth wherever you want and we will support you. But we do know that avoiding birthing directly on your back, you are less likely to sustain a bigger perineal tear. The reason for this is think about being flat on your back when your baby is crowning and being birthed the most pressure is going to be applied to the perineum because using gravity and all that, where the head's coming out of, it's going to be placing that most pressure on that perineum. In contrast to if you're on all fours, so completely flipped over, 
there isn't as much pressure placed on that perineum because with gravity, um, the baby's coming out and they're not putting as much pressure directly on that area. Then also we try and get women to either be right lateral or left lateral, pretty much any position other than we don't like to do squatting during the actual birth because think of more pressure is going to be placed on the perineum, but squatting is a great position when it comes to actual laboring. Um, but yeah, we're pretty much avoiding any position that's flat on your back or legs in stirrups unless it's medically indicated. The next thing that midwives do and doctors should do this as well is using warm compresses. So pretty much a warm compress, it's probably a fancier term for a hot pad or hot face washer. Um, but all that happens is your midwife places a warm compress, so pad face washer, to that perineum. And what that's doing is allowing warmth to be applied to the area of skin to help soften and stretch that perineal tissue. So that when your baby's head is being birthed, hopefully that warmth has allowed it to stretch a lot more seamlessly and prevent tears. Now, if you have an epidural, you should not be out of this category to have warm compressors. So the warm compressors should be in water that is safe to be placed on skin. So your midwife usually measures a certain amount of warm water, a certain amount of cold water, and that should give the optimal temperature for the warm compress. So if anyone says to you that you shouldn't have a warm compress on your perineum if you have an epidural, that actually isn't true and it is backed by evidence. So let me know if that happens to you. The warm compress will be there until the birth of your baby. And what we do is we hold it on there and then we sort of take it off to make sure that the perineum is stretching really well because otherwise we'd just be covering the whole perineum and not being able to see how things are progressing. So your midwife will hold it on, they'll take it off, they'll change them over. It's really common practice. The next thing that we try to control as a midwife, and honestly, we don't have to do anything. Women do this all by themselves, but that's controlling the birth of the baby's head. So your midwife will be assessing how that perineum once again is stretching and either using gentle verbal guidance, they will encourage a slow controlled breath to allow for the baby's head and shoulders to be birthed. And what that's doing is allowing your perineum to stretch slowly over your baby's head and body. Women probably think that a baby's head is birthed in one push or one contraction. Not necessarily. So if everything is okay, baby's heart rate is okay, we can sort of wait for that next contraction. Even if your baby's head's almost halfway out, we can wait until that next contraction. And what that's going to do is allow those tissues and the blood to go through the perineum and stretch beautifully over your baby's head in contrast to that though is you know the reason why we're trying to control the birth of the baby's head if a woman just pushes from zero to a hundred and that perineum hasn't had any time to stretch then I think you can sort of put two and two together obviously things aren't going to have any time to stretch so what would the body do they naturally would just tear because it hasn't allowed time to stretch and open up that perineal tissue now a lot of the time 
you know, the women that I care for, especially if they're in spontaneous labor without an epidural, they will do all of this by themselves. They might just need that gentle guidance of, okay, no more big pushes now. It's going to come to that time where we're just going to blow your baby's head out. And what that does is it's allowing everything to stretch, but the contraction, so your uterus is still going to do its job and push that baby down. And all you do is just those slow breaths of, And honestly, the baby's head comes so beautifully, everything stretches so magically, and it literally is just like blowing out a candle. And honestly, most of the time, we don't have to give too much guidance at all. Women who are in control and have been educated, they know all of this and instinctively their body will just do it. But if you're someone who's got an epidural, your sensation isn't there, uh, you probably will need a bit more verbal guidance from your midwife because you can't feel when the contractions are there. So the midwife will have their hand on your tummy telling you when to push, what type of push and when to, you know, same thing, slow down your breath, no more big pushes. We just want to blow and let everything stretch really beautifully. Another great thing to prevent perineal tears is birthing in water. And this is predominantly referring to birthing in the bath uh, because obviously the warmth is going to do the same thing as having the warm compress on the perineum, but also the pressure that the water's applying on the baby's head. So for people listening that have no idea about water birth, your midwife's hands off the whole time. So they don't put their hand on the baby's head to help control the birth of the head. Their hands off. They only sort of help bring the baby up out of the water and onto the mum's chest. So the pressure from the water counteracts the baby being pushed out and you know, helps slow down and control the birth of your baby's head, which is so bloody amazing. Now, another thing that midwives do is predominantly most midwives are hands-on. And honestly, that is pretty much how majority of hospital practicing midwives would work unless the woman asked us to be hands-off, which is also totally fine. But when I say the term hands-on, what I'm referring to is the midwife placing their hands on the top of the baby's head to provide gentle counter pressure to keep the head coming out nice and controlled rather than having a forceful expulsion of your baby's head. Now, what we're trying to do is allow that perineum to stretch as your baby's head crowns, but also when we're applying this bit of pressure, we're trying to encourage gentle flexion of the top of your baby's head. So what that does is keep their chin nice and tucked to their chest to encourage their head to stay at the smallest possible diameter, meaning that your perineum then doesn't have to stretch as far. Now, your midwife isn't going to just have her hands down near your vulva the whole entire time. It's only when your baby's head is about to crown and be birthed. So otherwise they're hands off, they let everything stretch until we sort of see your baby's head beginning to crown, then we would put our hands on. So that is all the things that your midwife will do to prevent severe perineal trauma. And like I said at the beginning of this recording, that sometimes things are out of your control and your body will just tear naturally. You know, tearing during childbirth is that physiological process. So if it happens to you, it's not, I should have done this or I could have done this better or I should have performed perineal massage for longer. Absolutely not. It is a normal physiological response to birth your baby. 
Now, I'm also just going to add in some midwifery insight because I feel like this is really important and often women don't realize this. So, if you think about your perineum right now, it's thick, right? So, the thought of tearing that area makes us feel really uneasy. But what women don't realize is that when their baby is moving down and starting to apply more pressure to the perineum, it actually puts a significant amount of pressure, which causes it to lengthen and then thin out. I'm talking about your perineum. It literally becomes almost paper thin. So if you were to tear, most of the time that perineum is so thin that the body will just do it naturally. So don't think of it tearing as it currently is, it changes so much when a baby's head is putting pressure on that area. Another thing that I quickly wanted to say that sometimes in the event that we might notice that your perineum is starting to tear a little bit earlier than anticipated and probably outside the norm, that's when your midwife would recommend an episiotomy. So I just want to begin by saying that an episiotomy is never recommended unless it is necessary. I think people think in hospitals get a bad rap that we do episiotomies whenever we sort of feel like it. Absolutely not. We're only doing them if A, we know it's going to potentially save your baby's life or two, it's in the best interest of you. And I've spoken about episiotomies before on the podcast, but pretty much all I want you to know is that if we are performing an episiotomy, we should always make sure that you have good analgesia on board. In saying that, if you have an epidural, we should test and make sure that area of skin is still very numb and blocked. Otherwise, if you don't have an epidural on board, what we would do is inject local anesthetic into that area um, to make sure it goes nice and numb. So there you have it. That is my tips to preventing perineal tears. I really hope that this episode has provided some great midwifery insight. But as I said at the beginning of this recording, hopefully taken away some of that fear. And I mean, it might take you a bit to digest this episode. I'm totally aware that this is a hard concept to grasp. But the more you educate yourself and you, the more you surround yourself with the normal physiological processes of birth, the more comfortable you will feel, the more in control you will feel. And honestly, you'll walk away from your labor and birthing experience and go, I did everything I possibly could and I'm really proud of myself. Watch those videos of birth. Normalize birth because it will make it that much easier for yourself when you're going through the process. Now, in terms of recovering from a perineal tear, I just want to say that I already have two, I think they're pretty good podcast episodes on the immediate postpartum period. So that sort of talks about what happens with when we're assessing for tears, how we diagnose the type of tears. Um, but also, I have another episode with the amazing founder of Partum Panties, Lydia Connolly, about recovering from a vaginal birth. Pretty sure that episode's called What Happens to My Tits and Bits After Birth. So, please check out those two episodes as well because I think it will give you a clear snapshot of what to expect when giving birth immediately postpartum and some of the healing that you can expect um, but I hope you all have an amazing week once again if you're wanting to learn more about childbirth please 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 come and get educated with me um, I love teaching soon-to-be mums or mums in general it gives me such a high and yeah I just love 
feel so grateful that I get to share my knowledge with you. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. Was that my hands or my flaps? I'll let you decide. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember, you're doing the best you can. Oh,